Listen, is there anybody glad this morning that there is a place in my Father's house for you? Let me hear you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody in the house this morning glad to be free? Amen. In Christ Jesus. And first thing I want to know is what have y'all done with my pastor, uh, Pastor Eddie? Because uh, I know he would never stand behind anything this formal. What y'all do to him? <laughs> and then he got a new fancy headset. I think it's made with people for little heads and not people with large heads. <laughs> um, man, I'm going to keep myself together. It is so glad to be home. It is so glad to be greeted um, with the love that I received when I came in today by many of you. Um, if I had time, and time does not permit, um, I couldn't tell you again the profound effect that you all, Crossroads, have had on Belinda's and our life. Uh, it's been a real blessing and a treat. All of the phone calls and letters that we've received, cards, emails, and texts from many of you with words of encouragement uh, has inspired and uh, I am glad to be home with my Crossroads family. And time does not permit me to say everything I'd like to say, not at this time. Because you know Crossroads runs on a clock. And so we, so we want to be timely and respectful. Um, but there is a word from the Lord for this house this morning. And to all mothers, past, present, and future, happy Mother's Day. Amen. Amen. Uh, and if you showed up this morning on Mother's Day to hear Mother's Day message, you just heard it. <laughs> I want you to know that I am here on divine assignments. And there is a word from the Lord for them for this house. And so I will share it this morning, but let us pray. Most gracious and all-wise God, I am so thankful and grateful uh, to be standing in this sacred place, being able to declare your holy and divine word among your people. My heart is full with love and appreciation that when you come in this house of worship, what you feel is God's presence. And Father, I thank you for being here among your people who are so full of love and grace and kindness. Uh, and we say thank you. And Father, may you allow me to decrease and move out the way so that you might speak through me and use this, your servant, that folks are no longer see Pastor Jeff, but they really see and hear you. And so, Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that every word that I speak is pleasing in that sight. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. And I, I was kind of glad to see, too, that we were back up on the stage because I was wondering how I was going to be able to contain myself in that little space that was out front. So I'm glad that was taken off the plate when I came in. The word this morning uh, comes from Luke chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 41 through 48. Peter asked the Lord that it 
is that illustration just for us or for everybody? And the Lord replied, a faithful and sensible servant is one in whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge over all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants and partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant into pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. A serve and a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with even more, more will be required. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. I'm going to talk, teach, and preach from the subject, are you an underachiever? Are you an underachiever? As I was reflecting and meditating on this title, I thought of Pastor Eddie, and I said, um, in no way would this message be an indictment on Pastor Eddie, who was the founder and the pastor of this great church for over 30 years. He's certainly been underachieved in that aspect of his life. Uh, he also didn't underachieve when Diana allowed to agree to be his wife. Oh, yeah, he, he scored way above his pay grade, so he didn't underachieve there either. But at the risk of encroaching upon Jeff Foxworthy's space, and I know you all are familiar with who he is, he single-handedly elevated a phrase that you might be a if. Uh, he figured out something, that it is easier to define where people are at by defining what they are doing. And so I just wrote down a few things this morning, crossroads, that you might be able to check yourself to see if indeed you are an underachiever. If the last goal you set for yourself involved your seventh grade science fair project, you might be an underachiever. If the last 10 books you read involved comic superhero characters, you might be an underachiever. If you consider the act of getting up off the couch and changing the batteries in the remote control as vigorous exercise, you might be an underachiever. If you have more creditors calling you than friends, guess what? You might be an underachiever. Listen, if the majority of your life savings comes from the loose chains that fell out of your pocket into your car seat or your recliner, you might be an underachiever. If your family, your friends, your acquaintance, your pets avoid you when they want to have a good day, you might be an underachiever. If you are someone who instantly know who got voted off the idol, I mean the island, island, and who picked which idol, who's dancing with what star, you might be an underachiever. 
Crossroads, I have a question for you this morning. You ever known or loved someone who was an underachiever? They had so many gifts and talents and every opportunity in life to be successful, and yet they continue to make one bad choice after another, and they fail one thing after another. You ever loved anybody like that? Yeah. And what? how did that make you feel? To see that person in whom you cared so much about continue to underachieve. It might have made you angry, disappointed, frustrated, maybe full of regrets. My brothers and my sisters, that's exactly how God feels when we continue to underachieve, underachieve for the advancement of his kingdom. It literally breaks God's heart. He becomes disappointed in us. He gets frustrated, and sometimes it makes him angry. Those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior, God has assigned things in our hands to do. How many of you remember the day you accepted Jesus? It was an important and enormous day. Because on that day, you had an opportunity, and you did become brand new. The Bible says, Behold, all things are pass all old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. We used to sing a song in Sunday school, didn't we? That when I looked at my hands, they looked new. And when I looked at my feet, they did too. It's an opportunity to turn our lives around and become all that God has created us to be. But for many of us, unfortunately, life has been like an anchor. It's holding us back. Uh, we have to learn how to let go of where we were to become what Christ, what we will be in Christ Jesus. We're going to examine the parables, or a parable, in the 12th chapter of Luke. And Jesus discussed in one of the parables in this chapter, he's talking about his second coming. He says that we're to be like uh, individuals at a wedding celebrating, waiting for the master to come. Another example he gives in the text is about a thief coming in the night. Uh, Jesus extends a call for readiness by preparing, comparing his return to a thief coming to rob a house at night. And he says that a man would never leave his house exposed if he knew a robber was coming to rob his house. And I began to think about this crossroads, about all of the steps that we take to protect our homes. We got remote controls and cameras on our doorbells. We got motion sensors in our light when anybody comes on our property. And, and I don't want you to out yourself, but some of us got loaded guns in every room in the house just in case somebody might come in and try to rob us. But what have you been doing with your life in preparing for the sun to return, for advancing the kingdom of God? Are you living a life that is expected and full of service because you are uh, critically aware that Jesus is coming again? going to walk through the text a little bit. This text will contain servantship imagery. 
A servant in ancient culture was a slave who was left in charge of the domestic affairs, the domestic affairs of the master's house when he was away. And so we're going to be looking at a servant who was a slave who was elevated to stewardship. And we're going to have an opportunity to see the difference between a good and a bad steward. Someone who has experienced elevation. And we find out when we begin the text in verse 41 that Peter, being the inquisitive one, the curious one, wanted some clarification from Jesus. And he said, uh, uh, Jesus, is this parable you're sharing with us? just for me or the entire audience. Peter might have been trying to distinguish the difference between the crowd and the disciples who were followers of Jesus. Jesus indicates in this parable that yes, it applies to the twelve as church leaders, but it also applies to followers by extension. And so Jesus is going to set the stage for what it is that he requires from his servants in the text. As we examine uh, the 42nd verse, I, Jesus is, is quite a character. He really never answers a question with a direct answer. He, norm he normally jumps off into some parable. And parables are, are things that have earth earthly analogies that folks were very familiar with, but they have a spiritual connotation. And so Peter asking, who is this terrible fall. I want to be sure I understand you, Jesus. I can imagine that when Jesus started talking, Peter was like, here he go again. Because he says, a faithful and a sensible servant is one in whom the master can give responsibility. He said, a faithful and sensible servant is one in whom the master can give responsibilities. The responsibility of what? Well, it's in the text of managing. And it's managing what? His household and his servants. And what I like about the text, beloved, is that uh, Jesus literally identifies two critical things if a person is to be elevated in the faith. One, he said, that servant must be faithful. Secondly, he says that servant must be sensible. See, we ought, we, we ought to follow the scriptures more closely because, see, we're elevating folk to positions of stewardship and they don't even qualify with the first two analogies. They're not faithful or sensible, and yet we want to put them in a position of authority and leadership. And so here it is. That Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to be elevated, if you're going to be trustworthy, if God can depend on you, you must be trustworthy, faithful, dependable, and inspiring. You must have insight and wisdom and sensible. You must be uh, thoughtful and prudent. Uh, this steward isn't just anyone who is being appointed to a position of authority. He's not just anyone who's been put in charge. He is someone who has met the qualifications that we just talked about. Are you with me? I know I'm in crossroads, but let me know you're in the house. And so, and I know I've been going a long time, and yes, I left half of myself in Florida, but I'm here. 
The main duties mentioned in the text that the elevated servants was to do was to feed the other servants. He was to feed them on regular intervals, their measure of grain and wheat. And he was to be in charge of the father's affair, the master's affair. This steward that Jesus holds up in the text for acclaim and notoriety, it isn't for that servant to then get puffed up and full of their own ego. That's not why he elevated them. It isn't that this servant in whom Jesus appoints to an elevated position is an individual who day after day without fail, watch me, without forgetting and with unexplained lapses in performance, that listen, their virtue is faithfulness. What are you saying, preacher? In other words, they're not a person full of excuses. The major responsibility for the elevated servant was to care for the other servants. He was to provide for their welfare, not to exercise his own power. Jesus praised his faithfulness. The good servant is one who is, who, is, who is able to wait and is ready for the master's return. He is someone who is faithfully, without an excuse, doing what the master has called him to do in his absence. Listen, in the text in verse 43, Jesus says this, he said, when the master returns and finds this servant has done a, done a good job, he said, there will be reward. The master's returned from his journey. He's found this servant, this slave, this elevated slave being dutiful in the instructions he received from the master. And he says, when I find, when the master comes home and finds an individual doing what he has been asked to do and assigned to do, he said, there will be reward. Oh, I hear you cross the what, what is the reward? Don't we always want to know what the reward is? The reward is a permanent promotion. It's to be appointed over all of the master's possessions. I can't help but think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Though he was a slave and in prison, he rose rapidly, rapidly through the, the ranks and became in charge of Potiphar's whole house and his entire estate. Joseph says this when the master of the house elevated him to another position. He says this in celebration. He said, everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. My master withheld nothing from me. Well, wouldn't you want to hear and be able to make a statement like that? that God hasn't withheld not a single solitary thing for me because guess what? I've been faithful. I've been dutiful. And God has elevated me. And now he has given me access. Oh, God, don't hear me up in here. Listen, the promotion. If some folk can't handle this, comes with more responsibility. He's going to be put in charge of the whole estate and not just slaves. The servant will be rewarded for not being idle, for not being self-indulgent. He will be rewarded, watch this, for feeding the other servants. 
And see, for us, y'all, in the text, what do we feed on as Christians? The Word of God. And so if we are in a position of leadership and we're not creating opportunities to feed the other servants, the Word of God, through Bible study, through Sunday school, through vacation Bible school, through small groups, guess what? We are missing out on one of the things that God has assigned in our hands to do. He has to feed the servants. And it literally means by the public preaching, and watch this, the personal application of the word to one's own life. Well, I wish I could get some help in here. Help me out, Julia. Thank you, sister. And he is rewarded for persevering until the end. We know that the scripture says the race don't go to the swift nor strong, but those who endure until the end. Right? It is one who has proved himself, watch this, over a lower level of responsibility. I remember as a high school football coach, and I was the head coach on the freshman team at the time, and um, I would watch the varsity staff and the varsity players practice, and I would see their preparation on game day, and I would say to myself, I want to do that. I want to be on a varsity coach. I want to be on a varsity coaching level. And the Spirit literally spoke to my spirit and says, when you are faithful over this thing, God will elevate you to the next thing. And so it was that, at that moment, I said, for real? And so I start being the best freshman coach I could be. And you can check the record books today. I'm the winningest, winningest freshman coach Terre Haute South has ever had. God taught me a valuable lesson. And at that time, we were playing all of the big teams in the mid-conference, the Ben Davises, the Carmels, the Warrens, and all of the big boys over in Indy, and they was dusting us up real good. Uh, but God helped me learn a valuable lesson. So we're going to examine the text where Jesus talks about the discipline that comes to an unfaithful servant. And I, I want to give you this caveat crossroads that we must not look at Jesus' words with our 21st century sensibilities and values, but understand it according to his time. Using the rod to punish was extremely common in those days. Fathers would discipline their children with the rods. The master would discipline their servants with the rod. Punishment for the criminals, uh, they were sometimes whipped and beat with the rod. But discipline was not designed for cruelty. It was designed for instruction. The one exemption is the cross. It was a torture chamber. And so here it is that Jesus is going to turn over the coin and give us a chance to check out what an unfaithful servant looks like. Uh, Jesus uh, points out the abuses so that we'll know what we're dealing with. Here it is, I'm in the text, verse 45. He said, so this servant begins to think, wow, my master won't be back for a while. And he begins to survey the landscape and find out all he's been left in charge with. So he starts thinking about his own comfort, how I can make this work for me, what kind of advantage that I might have. And so after he makes this assessment, he starts abusing the master's 
gifts. He starts beating the other servants. He starts indulging in behaviors that certainly the master would not agree with. He's partying, he's getting drunk. Jesus is talking about a steward that does exactly opposite of what the master requires. And beloved, when I began to think about what would make an elevated servant who's been given such great responsibility stop and think, hmm, how can I take advantage of this situation? How can I make this work for me? My master's not going to be back for a while, but yet he's given me access to things. And I thought, what will make you quit if somebody entrusted you with that level of responsibility? What will make you walk away from that? And as I began to think about this servant abusing the other servants, and I began to think about him wasting the resources that God had made available for him, the master had made available for him. He was doing exactly opposite the thing that got him elevated in the first place. And then I began, beloved, to think about the Israelite, Israelite children who were in Egypt being oppressed by Pharaoh. And they cried out to God, and God heard their cry, and he allowed their exodus from Egypt, and I don't know what was on the Israelites' mind. Maybe they thought that they only had a responsibility to God when they were out of the reach of Pharaoh. Sound like that might sound. Because no sooner than they got outside of Egypt, they started complaining. Oh, we had it better in Egypt. God, you bring us out here to die. But watch this, y'all. God said, when I bring you out of Egypt, when I bring you out of your oppression, I have a place that I have designed for you to go, and it is called the land of milk and honey. It is the promised land where you won't have to lift a hand, and you can go in and start living on Fat Street. But watch this. But watch this. They started murmuring and complaining and whining and wanted to quit on the journey. And how did God respond to his children who didn't believe his instructions? They never made it to the promised land. They died in the wilderness. Okay, I'm trying to help you crossroads. Listen, I, I, was, I was thinking about the Israelite children when the Moses went up to the mountain of Sinai and he came down with the ten commandments on tablets and saw that the Israelite children had erected a golden image. And it upset him so that he threw down the tablets and broke the tablets. And I began to think that when God gives you some instructions, how long does he intend for you to follow those instructions? When your leader's gone for a few minutes? When he gave the Israelite children, and Moses literally had to go back up in the mountain and get the second edition of the Ten Commandments. But when those Ten Commandments were issued, how long were the Israelite children to follow them? Forever! Oh, see, y'all ain't with me. Listen, okay, here it is. You all, some of you, have children. Some of you have teenage children. 
and uh, you're going to leave home, and you're going to leave your child in charge, and you're going to give them this instruction. Listen, under no circumstances in my absence do you allow any strangers or anybody in this house in my absence. I mean nobody. And I'll be back in a little while. And no sooner than you leave, your child starts thinking about, hmm, how can I take advantage of this situation? Angie, if you had given your son that instruction, how long did you expect him to obey it? Forever till you got mad. That don't change. Are you with me, Crossroads? When God has given us instructions and He's assigned things in our hands to do, they're not temporary. We're to follow those instructions forever. So here it is. What this is for you and I is a call and a reminder not to be weary and well doing. The abusive head servant who inflicted blows and strikes and wounds on the fellow servants. You know how we define it today? As church hurt. Anybody ever been experienced church hurt? When abusive leaders forget what they were called to do in the first place, which was to serve. They began to indulge in their own whims. They abandoned the discipline of the ministry that got them appointed in the first place. They go around junk, whether than sober, drunkenness of their own power, which is the very antithesis of the qualities in which, of which are being wakeful and watchful. The unfaithful servant now lives for himself and not his master. He neglects the responsibility of, and the, of his fellow servants, and he is involved in his own comfort and luxury, signified by eating and drinking in the text. Listen, I wonder about the self-indulgent leaders of our time who seem to be living for themselves and, and, and caring more about their own satisfying their own lust instead of concerned about serving the other servants. I, I love the text, beloved, because the text tells you how God's going to deal with that. He's going to return. And the, and the servant who does not care whether the master will return Watch this according to the text. Will not be given a mere beating. They will be given a mortal blow. The total separation from God. A total rejection. And a painful death. Watch that. I'm in the text, y'all. In 46 verse. The master will return unexpected. And he will cut the servant into pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. Listen, the master is coming again. And the coming will be swift. It will not be expected, and the unfaithful servant in the text is clueless. He gives no thoughts to what lies in the future. In his own disobedience, he is placed among the unbelievers. He is stripped entirely of his relationship with the master in his household. For that kind of steward, there will be no reward, only judgment, signified by the dismemberment imagery. They will be placed among the unfaithful. And listen, uh, I know we're from the, 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 pers the persuasion that once saved, always saved, and that's true. But the person who was identified in this text in that situation is considered to be a true unbeliever. It is one who, like those who destroyed the temple of God, and God destroyed them. 
It is how the Bible describes false teachers and what what is lies ahead for people who pervert the word of God for their own personal gain. They are not believers. Listen, the Bible says the wheat and the tear grow together. The Bible says everybody who says, Lord, Lord, ain't going to heaven. And listen, church, he has given us a warning. It's found in the book of Acts. In verse chapter 20, starting in verse 28 through 30, and I'm reading it in the message. Now it is up to you. Be on your toes, both for yourself and your congregation of sheep. The Holy Spirit has put you in charge of these people, God's people. They are to be guarded. They are to be protected. Watch this. God himself thought they were worth dying for. The text goes on, starting in verse 29. I know that I, I know that as soon as I'm gone, vicious wolves are going to show up and rip, uh, rip into this flock. Men of their very own ranks, twisting the words to, so to seduce disciples into following them instead of Jesus. So here's the warning. So stay awake and keep, the sh keep on your guards. So the, the servant who is placed among the unbelievers, is cast out into utter darkness, far from the joy of the fellowship of God's table in his kingdom. There, were, there are literally three examples of three different levels of unfaithfulness in this text. The next one is found in verse 47. It talks about the steward who exercises poor stewardship. The Bible says in verse 47, it appears that the servant who exercises poor stewardship that is someone who doesn't understand the scope of their responsibility. And because they're not prepared to be an elevated service, they don't provide the services that God has commanded them to do. And the scripture says for that servant, that that would be considered nothing less than blatant disobedience. That means accepting an appointment when you know you ain't ready for it. Because there's a shortage in the church. There's a need that need to be filled. And we need to make a decision, right? Let's get them. But did they meet the first two qualifications? Are they faithful and sensible? Oh, I hope you hear me, Crossroads. And so here it is. The third degree of disobedience. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. The message says it this way. But if he does a poor job through ignorance, then he will get a slap on the hand. And ignorance means literally means unformed, uninformed. They haven't gone through the process of study, preparation, and prayer. And I have a heart to do what God has assigned in my hand to do. I'm just ill-equipped to do it. And so I'm making mistakes, not on purpose, not trying to hurt people, but because I don't know. Even in that situation, there will be some discipline. And so as we look at the closing verse, 
in verse 48, part B of the verse. This is the part of the text that literally blew my mind. It says, when somebody has been elevated to stewardship, they have been given a great deal of responsibility. And it says, for someone who has been given much, much will be required in return. It says, when someone has been entrusted with things as important as God's people, then even more will be required. I like it the way the message says it. The message says, great gifts mean great responsibility. The greater the gift, the greater the responsibility. My beloved, this parable applies to us. Jesus is our master. We are his servants. Some of us are head servants. Some of us are workably bees, but we do it all to the glory of his kingdom. Jesus has asked us to occupy between his first and his second coming. Listen, church, Jesus is coming again. And we must be ready because he is looking for a church without spot nor wrinkle. Those who have been called to leadership, it is our responsibility not to fall into self-indulgence. I think about some of the heroes of the faith in our past. I think about heroes of church history like St. Pat Patrick, the English priest who won Northern Ireland for Christ. I think about St. Francis Assisi who gave up great wealth to embrace poverty and simplicity. I think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who gave his life as a martyr for a cause of freedom. I think about Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. Some of these individuals were born with riches and goods of the world, but most of them came from poor homes. The riches they, that they received were spiritual and not material. I want to be like that. I want to serve God's purpose in my generation. I want to be faithful, a faithful servant and not an underachiever. I want to be trustworthy among men and trusted by God. That I failed, I've sinned, and I struggle to rise to my own expectations for myself to fulfill the dreams that I believe God has placed in my heart. Not to be an underachiever. God desires all of us to advance his kingdom. We receive much from the master. It's now in your hands to do with it what you can. To prepare for his coming. Yes, we fall short, but we don't quit. We don't give up. And neither do we allow ourselves to fall into self-indulgence. Instead, we seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Our heart is of the law. He is leading us to do something important for him. Stacy, if you're around, thank you. Which means, church, we must stop being underachievers. You have to choose. Today. We have to choose his son. The word says that 
great gifts, require great responsibilities. How many of you know we've been given the greatest gift of all? The death of his son on the cross for the remission of our sins. The responsibility doesn't get any greater if you carry that bloodstained banner. I'm going to issue a call this morning. Crossroads, I want you to be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. Be watchful for him. Even if he delays, don't fall asleep. Be faithful and wise managers. Free the seat under your care. Listen, God has given us much. Be worthy of that sacred trust that he has in you. And if you don't know him today in the pines of your sins, won't you come? Won't you come and give your life to Christ? He's calling. He's calling you to be an elevated servant. He wants to know if you can be trusted with advancing his kingdom. Will you heed the call? As the band sing, if you don't know him, today's the day salvation has come to this house.